COVID-19 has caused a lot of misery all around, but especially inconvenienced parents. In the dark days of the pandemic, schools closed for months, and the problems of virtual learning left people angry. I was mad the school board closed and there didn't seem to be any plan or any idea on when it would reopen or how it would reopen or anything. Todd Kaufman's a dad in Virginia where last year, frustrations over these closures slammed into the nation's culture war and tipped an election. In a stunning victory, Republican Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race, a major political turnabout in a state that had been trending increasingly blue. Our kids can't wait. We work in real people time, not government time. It all started in a place called Loudoun County. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the L.A. Times. It's Monday, August 15th, 2022. Today, how conservative parents in Virginia started a powerful nationwide movement and how Democrats are trying to win this important voting bloc back. This episode is part of our ongoing coverage of the 2022 midterm elections, some of the most contentious midterm elections that this country has ever seen. My LA Times colleague and White House reporter Courtney Subermanian has been reporting on parent voters ahead of this year's midterms. Courtney, welcome to the Times. Thanks for having me. So already political observers are pointing to what happened in Loudoun County last year as a political revolution. But what exactly happened? Well, I think it's important to first acknowledge Loudoun County's history. It's one of the wealthiest counties in the nation. And it's located in Virginia's northern suburbs, just outside Washington, D.C. But it has grown more diverse over the last couple decades. It was about 85% white in 2000 and just barely 60% white in 2020. And I think those demographics reflect the politics, much like Virginia's recent political shifts from red to blue a few years back. And also it struggled with a racist past and the schools were among the last in the country to desegregate. So a lot of folks I spoke to pointed out that it wasn't on accident, that it sort of became the face of the nation's culture wars last year, which is what happened. What we saw started as a brewing frustration over pandemic learning, school closures, mask mandates, Kids are not dying from COVID, and they do not need to wear masks. Where is my body my choice? So it only works for abortions and transgender? Nothing else? Where is your medical degree that you... And that sort of quickly converged with the public school district's attempts to correct what a third-party audit found to be systemic racial discrimination in the system. So we saw the school create this equity plan, and that sort of roiled some right-wing anger over curriculum, like critical race theory, which is a university-level academic framework that's not even taught in Virginia's public schools. My children will not be victimized by forced exposure to racist, divisive, 
anti-American Marxist communist messages propagated by CRT. And a separate proposal to give transgender students access to restrooms of their preference. How does spending millions of dollars on retrofitting bathrooms for 50 students affect the 81,000 students academically? So this all sort of created the perfect storm that spilled into school board meetings. We saw parents descend on these meetings and take out their anger on school board members. I am disgusted by your bigotry. Over COVID-related restrictions, but also some of these more hot-button issues. Public comment is now ended. We will move to our next agenda item. And then these video clips were picked up by conservative media who pointed to these equity proposals as part of, you know, a liberal agenda being thrusted upon them. And the anger coalesced into this idea of parents' rights in schools that became really important in the Virginia governor's race last fall. Definitely. The Republican candidate who is now the governor, Glenn Youngkin, was able to seize on the issue to overcome a Democrat who had already been governor, had a pretty successful tenure there in a state that had shifted from purple to blue when Democrats won control of Virginia's General Assembly in 2019 for the first time in more than 20 years. And in a state that I should mention Joe Biden won in 2020. So it it took a lot of people by surprise. So this summer, you went back to Loudoun County to see how parents were now feeling Where'd you go exactly and who'd you talk to? So I met a group of parents in Ashburn, Virginia. I am pulling into one Loudon, which is a, a shopping center, very suburban gathering area where I'm meeting a few parents um, to go over just, you know, what exactly has changed over the last year since they were at the center of the national debate. And I met with Todd Kaufman, who is vice president of a parent advocacy organization called Loudon for All, which was born out of this whole episode and has been one of the sort of leading voices countering some of the conservative anger on the right. Our first message was simply, somebody needs to get the actual facts out there. And I met with Quinn McMichael, who is a parent in Loudoun County, has been a resident for 20 years. I have two kids, and one's in elementary and one's in high school. And Robin Bird, who is a lifelong resident of Loudoun, grew up there. In and out my entire life. So I, from kindergarten to I graduated from Loudoun Valley in 1999. And she came back after college to raise her children there and is a parent of a sixth grader and a second grader. How did the three of them process what had happened at all those angry school board meetings from 2021? I think there was a general sense that they felt like political pawns. There's a political agenda that people aren't aware are happening. It became clear that this was not about Loudoun. This was about a national plan. You know, they heard Loudoun being thrown around on cable news and national headlines. There was a lot of noise about what parents cared about. And once the dust settled, it seemed that the 
entire episode represented a very small minority of parents who were concerned about critical race theory and banning certain books and transgender bathrooms. And all three communicated to me that the overwhelming majority really wanted to focus on learning loss from the pandemic and teacher shortages that they're facing and mental health services for their kids. I mean, none of my friends and their kids that are in high school and middle school are worried about books in the library and transgender students in their bathroom. They just want to have an inclusive, safe learning environment. And there was just this urge to defend teachers and dispel some of these talking points around critical race theory and other culture war issues that caused all this animosity towards school board members. We needed somebody to say that because I think people just took it and ran with it and said, you know, all these things like CRT, just a whole bunch of stuff that isn't true about Loudoun and isn't true about our, our schools, our teachers. Who'd you talk to from the conservative side of this debate? Yeah, I spoke to Ian Pryor, who is executive director for Fight for Our Schools, which is one of the conservative groups that sort of led the charge against Loudoun's school district. I came to Loudoun in February of 2018. Okay. And at the time I was at the DOJ. You know, the first He's a Republican strategist who worked for the National Congressional Committee. He was a spokesman in the Trump administration's Department of Justice. He told me that he waded into the public debate in the wake of protests over George Floyd's death, which, of course, prompted a national reckoning on race. One of the things that sort of, at least for my purposes, generated my involvement in this was summer 2020, George Floyd happens, and, like, cancel culture just goes through the roof, right? And so there was... um, He pointed to a particular case in Loudoun of a white high school student who was dropped from the University of Tennessee's cheer team and ultimately withdrew from the college after one of her classmates posted a three-second video of her using a racial slur from three years prior. Start seeing all these things and it's just like, this is crazy. I mean, what's going on here? That's kind of what I was seeing at that time. He also said that he saw some gaping issues with First Amendment and free speech issues with the school's equity plan, which, you know, he said was just an example of some mismanagement by the school board, which sort of led him to wade into the debate and get engaged on these issues. So even though they were on different sides of the argument, was there any common ground in looking back on what had happened a year ago in their home county? Yeah, I think consensus was none of them expected this to spill into a national dialogue on school policy. I promise you, nobody on the school board thought they were going to be dealing with this as the primary thing. Most of these people, if you listen, even you talk to them, they were like, we thought we were going to be doing budgets. Like, how much money does the arts department get? Let alone that it would dominate the state's gubernatorial race. You know, Loudon became this sort of shorthand for school culture wars. And I think both sides didn't see that coming. The delusion of some people to think that this is like nefarious or this is all to win elections. We never did anything we did to win an election. And what's interesting about that is that it's supposed to be ground zero for the parents' rights movement. 
and the strategy itself failed in the gubernatorial race, Youngkin still lost Loudoun County by an 11 apport oh, margin. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Huh. Coming up after the break, how Republicans adopted the lessons of Loudoun County. Courtney, you mentioned that Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin didn't even win Loudoun County last year in his election. But other leaders in the Republican Party nationwide latched onto what had happened there as an example of how to win elsewhere. And they've since started their own education wars all over the country. Yeah, I think this is an issue that has been salient in more red-leaning states. We've seen Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is widely considered a presidential contender for 2024, put parent rights and school policies at the center of his agenda in Florida. In Florida, we will make sure that parents can send their kids to school to get an education, not an indoctrination. He's waded into local school board elections. He's passed laws aiming to roll back teacher control, including a law banning school teachers from instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity. The bill prohibits classroom instruction about sexuality or things like transgender in K through three classrooms. And the state's education department has removed certain math books they said were problematic and dealt with race and social and emotional learning, which conservatives say is a product of the left-wing agenda. I don't care what corporate media outlets say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what big corporations say. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. We've seen other governors sort of wade into the debate and a lot of states either introducing or enacting laws to ban instruction of critical race theory, launch school board recall efforts. And there's even been a rise in banning books across 26 states from last July through this March. I remember in the 90s and 2000s, you'd always hear this discussion about like the soccer mom vote, the NASCAR dad vote, and both parties would always be tripping over themselves trying to fight over them. So how big or important is the parent voter block today? Definitely. You know, this isn't new. Parents have always been important to both parties. I spoke to a pollster who estimates parents with school-aged children will only make up around 26 to 28 percent of Democratic voters this fall. But you have to remember that this voting block overlaps with the all-important voting block that both parties are seeking, which is suburban voters And there's a lot of interesting polls that show that a lot of these congressional battlegrounds up for grabs are full of soccer parents, and they could be a swing voting block for both parties this fall. There's a poll that was released in May that found more than 80% of voting parents would be willing to vote for a candidate outside of their political party whose education platform aligns with their views, which, you know, it says something about especially in today's very partisan landscape, right? Yeah. And what we know about parent voters is shifting. Democrats have traditionally been stronger on education, but 
a June poll of likely voters in 62 congressional battlegrounds, which could determine who controls the House next year, found that 47% said that they trusted Republicans more on education compared to 43% who said Democrats. And that's a huge shift and should sound alarm bells for Democrats. We've already talked about how COVID energized parent voters last year, but what's driving them right now? I think that's a really important data point that we've seen in polling too. Overwhelming polling has shown that as much as critical race theory and sex ed and other hot button issues are in the news, parents really care more about helping their kids recover from pandemic related learning loss you know, mental health services, teacher shortages, and really the one issue uniting most voters in this country, which is the economy. And I think the conversation has changed, right? Like we're not talking about school closures anymore. We're talking about mass shootings and gun control. We're talking about the rising costs of inflation. We're talking about abortion access in states and this lackluster effort to fix the childcare industry as families pull themselves out of the pandemic. So these are the issues that are animating parents now. I spoke to Katie Paris, a suburban mom based in Ohio, who is an organizer of the left-leaning organization Red Wine and Blue. Uh, hi. Oh, sorry, my name is Katie. What are you doing? And she regularly talks to moms across the country and the way she put it. I always said that I thought this extremism at school board meetings would backfire because suburban parents don't like extremism. Regardless of your politics, parenting was very hard during the pandemic. While it's easy to, you know, point your finger and blame a boogeyman, like critical race theory, the issues are much more systemic for parents now. And the challenges in front of us were and continue to be things like substitute teacher shortages, the resources that our, you know, our classrooms need, basic, basic stuff. More after the break. Courtney, the concerns of parent voters seems to have shifted since Republicans got their attention last year. So how are the Democrats responding for this midterm? What are they focusing on now or what are they not focusing on? Well, there seems to be this implicit recognition that Republicans won on school issues last year within the Democratic Party. And that's what's so interesting about this is that so much of Biden's domestic agenda was focused on parents when he took office. More than 35 million families could start seeing new payments showing up in their bank accounts from the federal government. Child tax credit money that was part of President Biden's coronavirus relief plan. It was all about benefiting working parents. Lots of COVID relief funding was used to bolster the child care industry. Millions of children and their families, their lives are about to change for the better. And our country will be better off for it as well. They were pushing for paid family leave and universal pre-kindergarten. And all of these policies sort of vanished from the agenda because of the party's narrow legislative majorities in Congress. The child tax credit, which at one point was considered a crowning achievement for Democrats, 
expired in December. So we have seen a bit of a pivot from Democrats, which is to focus on the economy, focus on safety in schools with regard to gun violence and on abortion and some of these broader issues that are galvanizing parents, but other voter blocks as well. And they're mostly avoiding the culture war issues animating Republicans around the country around race and book banning and bathroom policies. I think there's certainly an acknowledgement that there should be a premium placed on parent choice. And one example of that is the Biden administration created a parent council earlier this summer that elevates parent organizations to work with teachers on policy which of course is an implicit recognition that the issue certainly was successful in the way that Republicans used it. But they are focusing on broader issues that touch the school, but also touch a lot of other different voters. Yeah, and people have been saying that the midterms are going to be really tough on the Democrats. Did you talk to any Democratic candidates about how they're trying to reach parents? Yeah, I spoke to uh, Democratic Congressman Tom Malinowski in New Jersey, who flipped the state's 7th district from red to blue in 2018 and then eked out a win in 2020. Thanks to redistricting and a new congressional map, he's a frontline Democrat vulnerable to a Republican takeover. So I spent some time speaking to him, his campaign. Parents in New Jersey, like everywhere, want to be involved in their kids' education. They're capable of being concerned when they hear politicians telling them that the teachers are presenting inappropriate things in school. They're also capable of being very angry when they learn that what they're being told is not true. Malinowski told me he's focused more on mental health, on school safety. We want to make sure our kids are protected, but also well-educated and also safe from the things that really threaten not this made-up culture war stuff that's being imported from other states. He's talking about tackling inflation and the cost of diapers and formula and bringing gas prices down. And this is a result, he said, of several parent roundtables that he's held to try and understand what his suburban parent voters want. Finally, Courtney, how did those parents from Loudoun County that you talked to, so Todd, Robin, Huynh, Ian, how are they viewing the role of parents in this year's midterms? I think they're energized, you know, maybe not about COVID restrictions and mask mandates, which is what certainly animated these folks last year. But it's definitely brought parents back into the conversation on broader issues that touch schools. The national conversation has shifted, and so therefore I think the election conversation will also shift. Definitely education and fully funding public schools is an important thing, but I think it's going to be guns, it's going to be Roe, and it's going to be the economy. And even on the conservative side, you know, what's being taught in my school? Is my voice being heard? Am I happy with the way things are managed or being decided on school instruction? It's not just about like critical race theory or about books in libraries or about bathroom policies. Those are all part of it. But really it's about, you know, school systems being captured by something other than their electorate. And they're not in touch with their electorate. 
I think a lot of the questions certainly have shifted over the last year since we saw the sort of rise of this parent anger. But it's very much the effect of two years of pandemic parenting. And I think it's in some ways awoken parents as a voter block. Courtney, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Kasha Brasalian was a hef on this episode, and Mario Diaz mixed and mastered it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistant is Madeline Amato. Our intern is Surya Hendry. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Mortland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shawnee Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eben. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puchia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month. Gracias. <laughs>